Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are talking about some money that was held on trust for someone that was then paid to someone else, that was then paid back to someone else, that someone else tried to claim back. And if that sounds a bit confusing, don't worry, we're going to get into it. What we have is we have a pair of spouses and uh, we have spouse one and spouse two. And we'll call spouse two our plaintiff today because spouse two is the plaintiff who's gonna bring up proceedings. We'll call spouse one X just for the moment. Spouse one is not a party to the proceedings today. And we'll call the person who uh, was the subject of the loan, who borrowed the money, we'll call them the defendant for today's uh, proceedings. So we've got spouse one. Spouse one um, is introduced to and meets and has some interactions with the defendant. And the defendant essentially is a developer who's looking to borrow money from some people, use that money to uh, develop some land or sometimes sell off the plan properties, that sort of thing. And so what the, what, what the first spouse will do is enter into an expression of interest, make a deposit of $5,000 or so, and say, yeah, I'm interested in potentially buying unit seven in the development at 123 Smith Street or whatever it might be. So this arrangement is entered into between spouse one and the defendant. And as part of um, these arrangements, spouse one drags in spouse two's name as well, so that some of the agreements, or all of the relevant ones, indeed, include both spouse one and spouse two, entering into an agreement with the defendant developer. Now, um, spouse one nominates an account for some of these refundable deposits to be refunded back to in case some of the developments don't go ahead or in case they don't want to go ahead with their expression of interest. And initially those accounts are joint accounts that are spouse one and spouse two's accounts. Now, uh, as things progress, there is a note facility offered by the defendant. And essentially what that is, is a request from the defendant to borrow a million bucks uh, from the spouses. And the spouses go, yeah, look, based on all the commercial terms of this facility, yes, uh, we will go ahead with that loan. And so the loan is made. Now that million dollars is actually spouse two's million dollars that spouse one holds on trust for them. Does that make sense? So spouse one is the legal owner of the money, but the beneficial owner, the fundamental owner, the end of the line owner is spouse two. And in any case, spouse one pays this million dollars off to the defendant. The arrangement ticks along and the defendant eventually says, all right, the time for that note facility is now complete. Uh, we're ready to pay back the million dollars with a bit with a bit of interest as well. So here's your investment back. Thanks for investing. All that all that sort of stuff. And the bank account nominated by spouse one is not the spouse one and spouse two bank account. It is a bank account controlled solely by spouse one. And so spouse one has this money that that is spouse two's paid back into just spouse one's account. Now, almost immediately as that happens, because spouse one and spouse two are going through a separation family law process, spouse two sues spouse one, and spouse two succeeds. And spouse one is eventually made bankrupt as a result of spouse two suing spouse one. And sadly, depending on your point of view, certainly sadly from spouse two's perspective, um, all spouse two can expect to receive um, as, a, as a dividend in the bankruptcy, um, as payment from that bankruptcy, is about $20,000. So spouse two sued to get their million bucks plus you know, costs and interest back from spouse one. 
court's gone, yeah, you win, uh, but, you know, the way the chips are going to fall is that you're only going to get about 20 grand back. And so remember how we called the lender the defendant today. Today's proceedings are spouse two suing the defendant for trying to get that money back. And what spouse two says essentially is either you were negligent in paying this money back to spouse one, or you breached the agreement we entered into with you in relation to this money by paying it back to spouse one, breached the agreement, or you were negligent. You breached a duty of care that arose in respect of uh, the payment of money. You owed, you owed me a duty which you breached. So this is the dispute that the parties are in today, spouse two versus the defendant. Now, the, there are two sort of issues that need to be confronted. Issue one is, did, um, the, did spouse one have the authority to act on behalf of spouse two? Did they have either the ostensible or actual authority to go in on behalf of spouse two and go, hey, 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 spouse two has authorized me to say, just direct it into my account, that's fine. Now, the short point is, no, um, that authority wasn't granted by spouse two or spouse one. But the next point is, was there a breach of the agreement, right? So the question is, well, the court needs to work through the actual terms of the agreement entered into by spouse one, spouse two, and the defendant, and needs to have a look at, well, what is the defendant actually required to do pursuant to this agreement? When can it be said that the defendant has appropriately repaid the money that it borrowed from spouse one and spouse two? Let's go to clause X and say, well, tick, 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 who has to be paid and on what basis? And essentially, in working through those terms, in finding out how you nominate a bank account, what the definition of a lender or lenders are and that sort of thing, the court finds, well, in fact, the defendant complied with the contract by paying back spouse one, because spouse one nominated an account in a manner in accordance with the contract and um, was defined as a lender in the relevant way and able to nominate such an account. And so there is compliance with the contract. But the question remains as to whether even if there was compliance with the contract, can spouse two still pursue the defendant for that claim? And what the defendant says is, well, you ratified spouse one's conduct by electing to sue spouse one rather than electing to sue the defendant or behaving yourself in any other way. So let's just work through that again. There's an area of the law called ratification where if someone does something on your behalf, even if you haven't given them authority, you can subsequently ratify their conduct by essentially going ahead in a manner consistent with having granted them authority. Right? If you steal $10 from me, you buy a lottery ticket with that $10, I didn't know about it and you stole my money and then it's a winning lottery ticket, I go, oh, yeah, actually that's fine. <laughs> you, you, you know, um, that's a sort of a bizarre example, but, but in essence, I can go and then ratify that conduct by behaving in a manner consistent with me having granted you that authority. And so what the defendant says is, well, by spouse two suing spouse one, what spouse two was essentially saying was, um, I say spouse one is indebted to me in respect of this million dollars plus other costs and interest. And I do not say that the defendant is indebted. I've made an election to sue spouse one and I've so ratified spouse one's conduct. And the short point in response to that is, um, especially after considering an interesting sort of partnership dispute in the 19th century, which is sometimes where you have to go um, to work through some of this law where um, a plaintiff 
sued a successive partnership in relation to the conduct of an earlier incarnation of that partnership and was found to have made an election in relation to pursuing them and so couldn't go back and pursue an earlier member of the partnership. Similarly here, Spouse 2 was found to have made an election that had the effect of ratifying Spouse 1's conduct as between Spouse 2 and the defendant and that meant that Spouse 2 was unable to pursue the defendant. Now on one view you might be sitting there saying that's clear as mud, um, but on the other you might reflect on Spouse 2 having chosen to pursue Spouse 1 and taking it to the end and so ratified that conduct noting the defendant had already paid Spouse 1 on respect of it. I hope that summary assisted you and I look forward to joining you again soon for another coffee and in respect of another case note. Cheers.